welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need, the Need to Podcast. This is episode 7, Legend, from 1985. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And Mike, before we introduce our guests, and we have two of them, this is uh, important in a sense, in that when we did Cage Club, he had a movie every year, right? From mm-hmm. 81 to modern day every year. He did not, Tom Cruise did not have one in 84, so he started in 81. Uh, nothing came out in 84, I think, because this one took so long to make part of it. But, you know, we skipped, we went from 83 with all the right moves and risky business and losing it and the outsiders mm. uh, to here. Actually, he didn't have one in 82 either. Wow. 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 What a, I guess he hates even numbers. <laughs> I wonder if that's a trend. To... Although, uh, you know, the next episode we will be on, we do have the need, the need to podcast about Top Gun, which is oh. 86, and there's going to be more. But with us there. today to talk about this. Real weird movie. Uh, first up, you know her from her own Keanu Club over on Instagram, over on Etsy. We have Darcy DeBose. Hello, Darcy. Hi, glad to be back. Thank you for joining us for this Tom Cruise expedition through, I don't know, Middle Earth? Where are we? I don't know <laughs> anything about any of this. <laughs> Hyrule is pretty close, I think, for sure. Top little bit of trivia on IMDb that this, in theory, inspired uh, The Legend of Zelda, which... It's kind of cool, pretty cool, a pretty important legacy that this movie has. Also with us today, I don't even... Uh, <laughs> this is her favorite movie of all time. You know her from mostly the podcast, probably. She's been on with me and Mike before, but her her claim to fame here on the network is on the, the podcasts that Joe 2 and I do together. The Zack Attack, the Too Fast, Too Forever, the Boyfriend Material, the Magic Mics. She's our number one listener, our number one writer-inner. We have Jess Collins, a.k.a. Jess Montez. Hello, Montez. How's it going, guys? Going Very well. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so I deferred to you when we were doing this movie. I said, because there's at least three cuts of this movie. There's yep. the 89-minute theatrical cut. There's like a 94-minute European cut. And there's like a something like an hour, 54-minute director's cut. And I said, which should we watch? And you said, theatrical. It's the best one. I said, cool. Then as I'm watching, I'm reading some trivia about it. And Tom Cruise hates the theatrical cut. Ridley Scott hates the theatrical cut. The oh, composer no. who spent six months making the score hates the theatrical cut because it's all Tangerine <laughs> Dream. And I was like, Montez, what did you do? And you said that this has Tangerine Dream. So uh, so that's why we're watching this one. But there's another version that we're, we did not watch, which has 25 more minutes of everything. So oh. let's start things off here, Montez. All right. Why? All right, look, I've, I've watched all of the versions. I like the theatrical version better because the story is slightly different. The storyline of the theatrical version is a little more upbeat and everything ties together a little more nicely. Okay. So it's a little more coherent, you're saying? In a sense that it's less depressing at the end. Okay. Yeah. Sort of the happy ending. Darcy, have you seen... Okay, I guess a two-part question for you, Darcy. Had you seen this before, and which versions have you seen? The first time I saw this, I was four years old. This is is probably, like, one of my top ten favorite movies. Like, I grew up with this. Oh, boy. Um, so I'm, I'm going to preemptively just say I'm so sorry to both of you, but all right, go ahead. But it's also one of those things where it's like when you grow up with it, it's just when you're an adult, it's super whimsical. But like right. I've been in a room with adults who have seen it for the first time when they're just like, what the hell is this? I think that I've only seen the theatrical version, but it wasn't until I rewatched it for this that I even knew that there was more than one kind. So I'm assuming my mom would always show me the theatrical version. And the music gotcha. the music is super familiar, so I think that I've only seen this version. They put out uh, a couple years ago, I think, the like Ultimate Edition, which has at least two versions, if not more. That's I bought that DVD and it has it has at least two. Yeah, that's the one I have. You can hear it finally, the original score um, that was shown originally. So apparently, Ridley Scott showed this to a bunch of test audiences, and he said something along the lines of, like, a bunch of stoners didn't get it, so I got really paranoid, and <laughs> I cut it down by 35 minutes or something like that. Really? Oh. And they wanted to, quote, get the kids... Uh, attention so they hired tangerine dream which we just Wait. you know we just saw on risky business or <laughs> or heard on risky business were the kids really into tangerine dream at the time like, i don't know how, mike how, you're a resident historian were the I kids mean, into tangerine dream i was what like five or six at the time this came out i saw this in theaters i remember spending, did you okay I, I mean i remember spending most of the time in the lobby because i just it wasn't connecting at the time i think i was too. oh scared you weren't scared it. you were just bored no i think i was scared but i wasn't you know 
trying not to be so i would just like you know i left the theater and was gotcha. running around the hallways but yeah how many times I, have you I, seen this movie mike when i got the blu-ray whenever that came out a few years ago i watched the director's cut i remembered enjoying it like i don't i don't hate this movie i think this movie's really cool in a lot of different ways i think it's got incredible visuals i mean i don't know if it's quote unquote a movie like the way movies are today it's more of like a an art film or something yeah. It's an experimental sort of thing going on, but more of like a you know like a foreign film feel to it as well. But I liked it. I liked it rewatching it again. I just rewatched. Yeah, again, there are elements I really enjoyed. I mean, it's confusing as hell. You know, like there's really mm-hmm. it's super weird. And mm-hmm. I like Lord of the Rings stuff, but I'm not like deep into fantasy lore or anything. So I mean. Yeah, unicorns, but, like, are they... I didn't realize, you know, that their horns are magic wands and, like, all that kind of thing. It's just really, really weird. So, I don't know. I'm actually quite surprised that you were sort of just, like, really, you know, like, what's going on with this? I thought you would sort of be a little more into it. No, so, okay. So, I first saw this movie, like, four years ago. I met Montez at a wedding. We started talking, and we, you know, it became clear that we had a lot of similar interests, and I found out quickly that, like... Her favorite movie was this movie. And I was like, okay, let me watch this movie. And I watched this movie and I was like, I don't understand any of this. And I watched it again tonight. And I don't dislike it. I just, like, what? really, what is the story that Darkness wants to rule over Dominion mm-hmm. and Unicorn's horns harbor light? Mm-hmm. And so he sends his little goblin guy to go find a unicorn horn, capture the unicorn horn, Lily runs away, gets captured, and then Tom Cruise has to rescue her. Like that's the story, right? Yeah. Basically. Or is there more to it? I mean, that's that's the plot, right? But it's well, yeah. I mean, I know that there's more, but there's also yeah. there's not that much more. Like it's a lot of fantasy stuff, and I'm not trying to be negative about it. This is kind of you know we on the other Tom podcast, Mike on on Hanks for the Memories. Like this is kind of what I was hoping Mazes and Monsters would be like this fantastical, yeah, visual trip of a movie. Right. I kind of wish that there was more cruise. I kind of wish that there was more happening. I kind of wish maybe that it was longer. I don't know. It was just, you know, there's something about it that just didn't quite click for me, even though I agree that it is a really pretty movie to watch. Yeah, maybe you got to give the director's cut a shot or something. That's the thing. Like, when the story wasn't there for me, I was just enthralled by the visuals. Like, this is just, like, on that level, it's a masterpiece. Like, you know, I could understand people sort of not getting it otherwise like what's going on but you watch this with like the sound off and pump whatever soundtrack you want it doesn't have to be tangerine dream but like put something on in the background and like yeah this is a visual marvel and i think that's what's so like special about it is like the plot or whatever the story is is literally just like who cares you like tim kurt like you can't it's so beautiful and everything that's happening is just like so pretty and there's so much glitter tom cruise's legs are everywhere <laughs> But it does it does remind me on a level of filmmaking of like the silent era to a degree, you know, like I think of like Murnau and Milliers and those guys like the early experimental science fiction sort of special effects movies they were making at the time. And like this is on that level. But during the 80s, this is like as far as you could really push practical effects at the time. I wish I liked it more. I just don't. I don't have reasons that I don't. It just didn't. You know, I feel I feel like it's a real weird movie also. Like, I feel like Tom Cruise so far through six movies has sort of set on this path of, like, kind of in a way like these gritty, edgy sort of things. And this feels like such an abrupt 180 that it, it kind of gave me a little bit of whiplash. Like, I knew it was coming. Like, it wasn't, you know, unexpected. But it was it was just a, wow. Yeah. We had Endless Love, which is this weird, dark, fucked up romance. And then we had Taps, which is real dark at times. And The Outsiders, which is you know, a kind of a rough, gritty movie. And then we have Losing It, which is a real weird mess of a movie. Then Risky Business, which should be a comedy, but it's not really a comedy. Mm -hmm. And then All the Right Moves, which is kind of a coming-of-age story, but also, like, uh, depressing, we're stuck in this town. And then we get here, and this is the movie before Top Gun. It's a a real change, a real shift Mm -hmm. in what he's been doing. That might be part of the reason he's doing it. I think maybe another reason is Ridley Scott. Like, maybe that... I don't know. I feel like he maybe handpicked Cruz to be his guy or something like that. And that's a real opportunity. And, you know, he would 
you know, I think he had just done Alien. He'll go on to do Blade Runner, and I think even some of this unicorn footage made it into Blade Runner or something. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure the timeline of when these films were made exactly or whatever, but I, I would imagine, you know, you want to work with Ridley, like, he comes calling, you go. So Blade Runner is a couple years earlier than this. Uh, this, I think, started production in, like, 84, released somewhere in 85, and I think the, the real release was sort of in 86, like, I think there's a real long development cycle on this, from what I gather. Filming stopped twice because there was a big fire that burned down the entire set that they were on, like, during a lunch break. And also, Tom Cruise's dad died while they were making this movie. So, like, they had, they had stoppages. They lost three days to one, they lost a couple days to the other, or whatever. It's, it just feels like there were a lot of things, and then it's a very complicated movie. Like, this is far and away, of all the movies we've done so far for this podcast, Mike, the, the most elaborate yeah. you know, in terms of the, the set, in terms of the design, in terms of the production. Everything is manufactured. And it looks great. Is it true that this is, was this filmed entirely indoors, like in Pinewood Studios? Yes. That is just... That's what I read. Mind-blowing. Like, that to me is just, that drives me nuts. Like, I think that's amazing. Jess and Darcy, we have a little bit more structure to these podcasts, sort of, than we did uh, in past. We're going to, we go through and talk about our specific moments. So, uh, Darcy, why don't we start with you? What is, if you had to say, what is your favorite moment or favorite scene or favorite little beat or whatever of this movie there's so much so it's when the snow starts to fall that whole situation is really awesome and i'm just like things that stick out in my memory from when i saw it as a kid that like i mm-hmm. go back to is just like this sheer amount of glitter that is in this movie so always so surprising when i watch it again that it's just like everything is just so sparkly even the dart even the dart yes. that they hit the unicorn with is a glitter dart things that really stick out are tom cruise's hair and his crooked teeth and then that like dancing dress when she, the oh, black dress that, that kind of yeah. comes tr- towards her, that was always really freaky to me as a kid. Tim Curry in general, the whole like devil situation is always uh-huh. just like, it's just so elaborate. And like, I can't imagine like how long those like prosthetics and all that makeup took. And it's, he's like unrecognizable. So it's just like as a kid, when you're like, well, that's the guy from Home Alone too. It's just like, <laughs> he doesn't even look like himself or anything like that. Yeah, everything. I just, this whole movie is just like so magical for me as a kid. There's a lot of trivia on IMDb about the level of effort done for this makeup and like to the point where he was so, I guess the word they use, I think, is claustrophobic that like he just couldn't get out because he had to sit in the bath for an hour every day just to like let the glue dissolve that like was on his face. And he got so freaked out like he couldn't deal with it anymore and he ripped it off and like ripped off part of his skin with it that was you know really struggling i guess for his art but like he it is crazy and montez is it right that like in the longer cut that you don't see him until like halfway through the movie like in the beginning in the version we watched like he's in the first you know, a few minutes. Like yeah, you, you sort get of like see... the cool version of him, the blue yes. version with the green eyes. It's amazing. Yeah. But Montez, in the, in the director's cut, he doesn't show up, I don't think, for a while, does he? You know, I haven't seen the director's cut in a while, actually, and I didn't get around to watching this movie before, again, before we talked about it today, just because I've seen it probably well over 100 times, and I didn't feel like I needed to rewatch it. Plus, you know, just coming back in the country, I didn't really have any time. I wanted to rewatch the theater, the director's cut, um, just because I don't think that you do see him until later, and he is portrayed completely different in the director's cut, along with the other characters as well. And he's also, like, not in the ending or something, and I could read that. I, I yep. copied off the different endings later, but Montez, yeah. what's your what's your favorite moment? Uh, if you, I mean, I know that might be a difficult question for you, but, yeah. you know, Darcy... Did a, gave a great answer. What's, what's your favorite moment from this movie? So honestly, my favorite moment, and it's so silly, but even like in my current life and when this happens like in real life. So I think about this movie very often and no exaggeration. This literally is my favorite movie of all time. I forced everyone that I know to watch this movie. I make sure that they lie to me and tell me that they love it afterwards. So <laughs> my favorite, absolute favorite scene that I could watch a million times is when Jack takes Lily to see the unicorns for the first time and the unicorns are coming towards you and there's just like little tiny flower petals or or something is in the air and it just it all just feels so surreal and so ridiculously amazing in real life when I'm like walking in like 
little flowers are in the air. I think about this movie because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is so magical. Maybe a unicorn's going to come out of nowhere. You like literally live in that scene forever. Yes. You never know. Just Montez, keep your eyes up, head on a swivel. Maybe you'll see a unicorn one of these days. You know what? My fingers are always crossed. I hope for your <laughs> sake that you see a unicorn gently pet it or something. Don't hit it with a magical uh, sparkle dart. And, you know, I would never treat it with treat it the respect it deserves. I would never disrespect the code of the forest like that. <laughs> Mike, what about you? What's your what's your favorite moment in this movie? Yeah, I, I, I like a lot of stuff about this. I mean, I love all of just like the stuff flying through the air at all times, whether it just be like pollen or snow or petals and stuff. It's like, that's great. I love Tim Curry. I guess his character's named Darkness. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not sure if they ever really say it clearly in the director's cut, but I love his character. Like, he just is so crazy looking. Uh, I love that shadow dance or whatever when she gets bewitched. That's really great. But I think, you know, overall, watching it this time, my favorite thing about it is all of the Legend of Zelda stuff going on in this movie. Like, to be honest, I. Just want to like sort of you know reach out that out. Uh, lots of stuff from like the great tree, you know, to the forest children to like well, there's goblins, not moblins, but like one is literally like the pig looking thing and stuff. So like maybe that had something to do with it again. And every time from now on rewatching it, like I'm just gonna like it because of how much it feels connected to that game and that source and stuff. And I'm just like such a huge fan of that game and of that legend as it were and that's really like the level of fantasy I experienced as a kid was playing that game later as like a teen and adult getting into more like the Tolkien stuff that this time really was like really cool to sort of be able to say this feels like that maybe this is where I come to terms with the fact that like fantasy just isn't for me like I like I like sci-fi I'm just trying I'm still trying to wonder because like I, I haven't really ever gotten into Zelda either you know like and I it's this entryway this alley this path of pop culture of medium of whatever that feels like I should like it but you know I don't love Lord of the Rings the way my friends do I don't love Zelda or this movie or like, there's also like this also kind of feels sort of uh Return of the Jedi-y right like in in certain yeah. ways where I, I don't really dig that like I just I, I don't know like I'm just I'm still trying to put my finger on it there is one particular line that I want to call out as my favorite line I think in the movie or one of my favorite lines in the movie is when there's that like hag of the forest or somebody who's like trying to trick tom cruise that part's insane the swamp witch or whatever Uh uh-huh and uh i just like the line that tom cruise says that i can't this is just more fairy glamour human hearts don't work that way it's like what is fairy glamour did did you hear joey what she called him she calls him a juicy boy i did which was like holy shit which I was going to call out, but I don't think I don't know if Montez got there yet. But that was a, a term that we threw around a couple times on one of the most recent episodes of Too Fast, Too Forever, where I was like, I cannot believe that she said "juicy boy." Wow, 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 wow. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely my favorite scene for those two lines alone. Now, Darcy, on the flip side of that coin, if you had to pick out a scene or a moment or something in here that was not your favorite, what is is there is there a part of this movie that you don't like that you you sort of wish was different or better or whatever? Yeah, yeah, all those super like grotesque execution dudes who are just like sweaty bodies like hacking other sweaty bodies it's just like the (laughs) the torture scenes i'm just like uh. i mean i get the fire and brimstone and it's supposed to be like gross and like oh we're gonna die that needs to be threatening but all those like sweaty like gross torture dudes i'm just like no i'll just fast forward that. So what's interesting about this movie, and it ties in with our last episode, Mike, that we did for Hanks and Splash, or Splash! Splash. They brought this to Disney, and Disney said, no, this is too adult for what we want to do. Yeah. But we found that Disney basically created Touchstone, not necessarily for Splash, but like for movies like Splash. So this must have been like just before that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Because mm-hmm. this feels like it could have fit in with that world where like it is sort of mostly kid-friendly and mostly family-friendly, but also kind of it's a little weird and a little adult yeah. right so i mean it's yeah. like the labyrinth or like the never-ending story like mm-hmm. i saw those as kids but it's like watching them as an adult i'm just like this is like terrifying like how did i love this as a kid yeah well another another movie that came up in conversation recently because i was talking to uh someone about this and uh the dark crystal 
You yes. know, like that was another one at the time that, yeah. you know, scared the shit out of me too. And watch, watching it now being like, whoa, this is just like technically incredible. And like mm-hmm. everything going on here is really weird and stuff. So there's something about that time. It's pretty amazing what Hollywood, you know, sort of sold to parents as like, oh no, this is fun, family friendly entertainment. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was really shocked at the level of PG torture in this movie. Like, whoa. That chopping off unicorn horns and like chopping up bodies and like, you know, freezing Tom Cruise underwater. And there's just a lot of scary stuff. And like the, the creatures all look hideous and terrifying like i don't know montez what about you i know this is maybe i I don't want to say that this movie is perfect in your eyes but is there anything about this movie that you don't like no and i apparently had a completely different childhood than everyone else on tonight (laughs) my favorite movie while i was a toddler was howard the duck (laughs) so um so like literally none of those movies ever scared me i guess because i used to freaking watch howard the duck all the time which I rewatched as an adult, and I called my parents immediately after and said, what is wrong with you? There's nothing in this movie that I don't like, because I'm just really biased towards it. I love absolutely everything about it. I think the only thing for me personally that I don't like is because, you know, as a child, I did love the theatrical version so much that when I ended up watching the director's cut, I didn't like how dark it was, because for me, it kind of shattered the illusion of this perfect fantasy and this fairy tale of love always persists and you know goodness is always going to beat out darkness and that is not the case in the in the director's cut i guess that that's where the divide comes in whether you like this version or the other version because the reason that the quote that tom cruise said that i found online in a couple different places that the reason he likes the director's cut more is because he says this one is like a quote stereotypical 80s fantasy so i think if you like that sort of pure of heart like good triumphs over evil and like it's a it's a it's a fairy tale and you know that the good guys are going to win in the end, even if darkness isn't banished fully or whatever, then you're going to like this. But if you want sort of, I guess, more of a, I don't want to say realistic, but like a grittier, things aren't always going to work out perfectly, things are kind of be a little bit messy, they're not going to be as always, you know, good or pure, then maybe you like the director's cut more. I don't know. But that's that seems to be like what you love about the movie, Montez, is what, what Tom Cruise sort of seems to not like about this version, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, not that one is right or one is wrong, but right. just that they can, you know, be so... That I think both points can be so valid, and it's just a matter of, you know, what kind of movie, I guess, you want to see. Right, yeah, and I, I love the fact that there are two different versions of this movie, and you can watch both of them, and you can get something completely different out of both movies, even though they are at the exact same film. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Is what is your uh, what's your least favorite moment in this movie? Hmm. I mean, it's not again. It's not like uh, this is one of my favorite all time movies or anything. But like, I also struggle to find stuff I don't like about it. It's weird, like because I just look at it more as like a piece of art almost or something. Like it's hard to sort of explain, but. Maybe I think I, I sort of had some trouble along the way with the actual, with Tangerine Dream scoring it. Like, I, I would like to hear this with the direct, I would like to watch the director's cut just to hear what the orchestration is, just because I feel like that would fit better for the fantasy setting and everything. And I, that sort of took me out of it and reminded me like that this was made in the 80s. You know, like, I feel like if it had less of a modern score at the time, like, it would just have more of like a... Uh, everlasting quality to it more of like you know a deeper fantasy connection or something but that took me out of it from time to time i mean also look like yeah like as much as i'm saying like this the makeup's incredible and like this is and it is visually astounding like there's definitely like parts that are not great looking and stuff like when he gets trapped under the ice is kind of weak and like i don't really understand why they go with that other sort of um effect or something i don't know like the the screen sort of stretches or warps or something like there's a there's a couple tricks that he doesn't quite pull off but again like overall like i just sort of was just over just like really impressed with what i was seeing (laughs) because like it's all there you know what i mean like it's all on the screen and like you just can't deny what you're seeing none of this is cgi all the effort is right there this is like the second movie on our podcast network this month that was sort of a surprise ridley scott movie for me like i didn't know like i forgot i had forgotten that this was a ridley scott movie and i also did not know that thelma and louise which the contenders covered a couple of weeks ago was a ridley scott movie so i just feel like he just keeps popping up in into oh. this little world that we've created yeah. i always thought that was tony scott jeez i i would get them a little mixed up during the 90s there's not there's i think there may be two movies between this and that and maybe one movie between blade runner and this or maybe no movies between i don't know but he's just you know going from one to the other and of course uh blade runner 
close to our hearts, not that one, but the the sequel for good old boyfriend material. Blade Runner twenty forty yeah, guys. And we did Prometheus for Charlize, so we sure did. Him there, yeah. Yes. And you'll do it again if you ever get the Idris Elba podcast off the I air. I don't think we're going to do up to our Elbas and Idris, but maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know if I can, I think, like you, Mike, I don't know if I can point out a, a least favorite moment. I think it's just the sort of overall vibe that doesn't quite work for me. Again, not that I think it's bad, it's just not my cuppa, but it's, it's, <laughs> I guess it's a good thing when I'm pointing out, but like, I just don't like how hideous the, the goblins are. <laughs> when compared to the the beautiful serenity of the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Like, I get why they are that way, because that's what the whole movie's about, the dichotomy of light versus dark and stuff. But it's just, uh, you know, I just kind of want to watch Mia Sara run around with unicorns for a while and, you know, keep the goblins out of here. I feel that. I could I could have more of the like pretty stuff for sure. And the crazy thing, and this just, you know, okay, I guess a good time to talk about, this is Mia Sara's first movie. And she's like... Huh. You know, she's kind of the lead. Like, it's, it's her and Tom Cruise, like, through this entire thing. Mm-hmm. And she'll go on her second movie as Ferris Bueller. Like, she jumped off in a hurry, in a big, big way, to these two movies. And just, like, you know, I think she, she plays that sort of stereotypical kind of princess well. But she's she's good in this, especially considering this is her first movie. Like, this that's a lot to ask of a, of a new actress. Definitely, yeah. You know, and it's got to be, you know, and Tom Cruise was, like, huge already, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, there's a lot sort of riding on this. And how did this do? If I'm not mistaken, it didn't really go over too well in the States either. No. Like, so it had uh, bad reviews. Roger Ebert praised some parts of it but said that it just didn't work as a movie. Um, I want to say Gene Siskel or someone gave it like a half star out of four. Like this did not do well critically. The budget was about $25 million. It made, uh, so it had a budget of about $25 million. It made domestically 15 so it lost money. But it's one of those movies that has become a cult classic that people like, you know, like Darcy and Montez will buy the Blu-ray and watch it over and just, you know, Montez single-handedly keeping the, the Netflix DVD branch <laughs> afloat, uh, but probably, you know, just convincing people 3 or $4 at a time to rent this movie. Because this also, considering, I think, how well-known it is, like the fact that it's not streaming for free anywhere was a little surprising to me. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that, mm-hmm. but I feel like this is the kind of movie that like sort of belongs on something like Netflix that people can just put on to fall asleep to every night or whatever. You know what I mean? I would love that. That's the thing. Like I had always sort of assumed the audience was out there. The word of mouth about this movie has always been like just that it's a bad movie. Like I feel like people just constantly have always been dismissive of it like at least as i've been growing up and stuff you mentioned legend and everyone's like oh that movie's terrible and it's like well is it really though like did you sit down and watch it or are you just sort of basing that off of like what you heard and reviews and stuff and i think that's maybe part of its sort of cult status is that like there was a group of people who grew up watching this movie and love it and like as adults now love to revisit it and and watching and stuff, and so it's yeah, I could understand it finding its niche and everything. And now that the fantasy genre is like, I mean, it's actually kind of crazy. I feel like the fantasy genre should be bigger than it is now. I mean, we're getting the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon and stuff, but like there should be other stuff out there. So like finding a new life every couple of years, this movie being rediscovered, I could also see that happening too for people just looking for more fantasy material. I think the problem is that it's just it's difficult to do well. And it's also really expensive to do well. That Lord of the Rings show is going to cost, I think, something like $400 million or something like that. Like, it's going right. to be an incredibly expensive show. And I feel like when, when fantasy, this might not be, I don't know if I have examples back this up, but I feel like when fantasy goes wrong, it goes wrong in a big way. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if, a, if a drama goes wrong, it's kind of, it's just not good. If a comedy goes wrong, you're just not laughing. But like, if fantasy goes wrong, it's like, oh God, like nothing worked. You know what I mean? I feel like when you leave it all on the table, like when you put your your heart into a work and it just doesn't click like it's noticeable like it's it's i think a, a taller a, a bigger ask a taller you know order to fill i can see that i mean you know I, the closest thing i can think of recently that's been sort of like a fantasy series are the harry potter things and that's not even you know full tilt fantasy right like that's just like you know wizard school and things and like that's f- okay like i like some of that stuff you know it's not exactly my cuppa but uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, it, you know it's filling the void it's content and everything and like it's trying so like, but that's just kind of like what i see out there i'm surprised there's more of that and less of stuff like legend being sort of but developed. i think why that sort of and I, I i'm interested to hear if, if darcy or montez agree with this or not but i feel like why that might work more or be more accepted is because 
it exists within a world we know. Like Hogwarts and everything within Hogwarts is alien to us in a way, right? Like it's it's all rules and sort of customs and everything that we don't know, well, but it still exists. Words. Yeah, new it exists in everything. a world that we know, like in in England, right? Like this, yeah. you know, the people are humans, I guess, but also there's nothing that we recognize about this world. Like everything is like it, this might not even be on Earth. You know what I mean? Like it's just I don't yeah, know who, I don't know I don't, where or what this is. I don't think anyone eats anything throughout this entire movie, right? So it's like, <laughs> how are they? How are they stay? There's only one other human, which was the old lady, right? Who freezes to death. So, right, yeah, this is like really sort of trying to, you know, turn you on your head or something. But yeah, like Dar- Dar- Darcy and, and Montez, I'm curious, do you, do you think that like, like why don't we see more of this? Is it because it's difficult or because it's expensive or people don't want it or like why aren't there more movies like this i feel like there's a a lot of fantasy that's happening in animated things i'm a i'm a huge fantasy fan so i feel like hashtag nerd alert and i feel like it's so much easier to kind of do that stuff when you don't have to involve people it's kind of like you said you know when you involve humans and you can't your brain can't connect where that's supposed to be in the world you kind of like don't you don't believe in it. I think it's also a level of trying to escape reality and being okay with transporting yourself to another, you know, into another world, basically. I think fantasy does a lot better in print than it does in film because, like, when you're reading, you imagine these things. But when you watch it on a screen, someone else is imagining that for you. And sometimes you have a problem saying, okay, well, that's, I don't really believe, you know, your fantasy. It's kind of trying to make yourself believe in what someone else is seeing. I feel like that too. And it's like, for me, these older movies that in the 80s, when everything was really practical, I believed it more. And I feel like now with fantasy, there's all this like CG technology and like all these tricks that you can use, but it's like, it doesn't feel real as practical effects usually can. And I think Jess is right. Like, it's like, if it's human and if it's something that I can like, sort of place myself in sometimes it's hard to believe you kind of want to escape into an actual fantasy and i i also think that like animation and things like that do a far better job at like sort of encompassing this sort of like fantastical world because it's like the illustration part of it i feel like is just i don't know easier to bend to what you want it to be as opposed to like having to either like put all this money into cg that could look like crap or like have to have a team of like practical artists do it in real life and I think one thing that this movie does well that Ridley Scott had the right idea about based on a couple things that I was reading, it seems like he wanted to make a movie like this and realize it would be easier to write something from or create something from scratch that could adhere to the sort of the conventions, the limitations of, of what a movie could be, then try to find an existing story and try to adapt that. This works as well as it does if you like this kind of movie because it tells a complete story. Like, maybe there could be more. Maybe, you know, uh, who knows? But I feel like it's it's not... It, it almost feels like it should be... Like, it's an adaptation of something, but it's not. Like, it's just... This yeah. is... He wrote this because the, he's like, this is how I'm going to create it. Why should I adapt a thing that's going to be difficult to translate to the screen? In that sense, it almost feels like because it's such, like, a sort of closed-circuit story, it almost feels like this whole world just exists in, like, a snow globe. Mm. Like, I don't feel like it really could expand or, like, need to expand. Like, we don't need to know the lore of, like, every single character that, like, comes in because he's kind of just got it all sort of, like, like, I don't care what's beyond the trees or, like, where Tim Curry gets blown. Like, is that space that he gets blown into? I don't know. I don't care. Like, it's this whole world is sort of just, like, all on its own and like can be it does yeah. look like he gets blown into space and becomes four <laughs> stars but then also at the yeah. end of the movie he's still alive so i don't know so uh who knows <laughs> i guess i guess it's also like you know you can never really truly vanquish evil right like mm, the whole yeah. opening scroll which we have not talked about yet which is fairly long it seems like jack and lily think that they can just like there can just be good in the world like kind of the movie that i wish this was and that darcy said she could wish she wished there was a little bit more of but you know you can't have good without evil you can't have light without dark you need that balance so 
know, mm-hmm. even if you think that you banish darkness to outer space, like he's still going to be around. So <laughs> it's interesting. Like I like what I do like about this is like what you're sort of mentioning is like there's a great simplicity to to a lot of this. Like whether they're whether it be the plot or the characters or stuff, it's like it's all very recognizable imagery and everything. There's stuff like you said, like it, it feels like it could have been an adaptation, right? Like characters that seem like hobbits, right? So it's like, oh, there's a little Lord of the Rings sort of thing. But then there's an elf, and elves are in sort of everything. And then darkness looks like the devil, but he's not Satan or anything. He's just like a dark demon of some kind. So like, and and you know, the deep dark woods. Every fairy tale starts, and it has like you know the dark woods and stuff. All the grim fairy tales, and so there's all that familiarity to it, right? And he's sort of plucked and picked like all of this iconic imagery and like thrown it into the stew together and uh, whether it works or not it's definitely super interesting to see how fantasy ideas can play play together and play off each other and stuff so there is very much sort of like a fellowship quality to this but it's not at all like Lord of the Rings. It took five and a half hours for Tim Curry to get his makeup on, which is just unbelievable. He he kind of reminds me of the Satan from the Tenacious D movie a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's kind of got that that sort of look going on. I'm yeah, a wildly different um, devil, but you know. It in uh, Childhood End, the aliens look like that. I don't know if you ever read that book or something. No, like no. They did a miniseries, but like, yeah, so like the alien ships come and it and they don't open the doors for like over a decade they just have like an ambassador come up to the ship and then then they finally reveal themselves they look like this they look like demons and stuff and they're totally benevolent but like they're just like we had to wait a generation for you to acclimate to our presence before you saw what we look like huh. so you wouldn't have your minds blown or something yeah <laughs> uh so speaking of the devil tim curry uh, it looks it seems i guess it makes sense because what's the only character that he's ever played that's sort of like this is you know dr frankenfurter frankenfurter uh, but mm-hmm. ridley scott saw him in rocky horror and was like i want him in this movie so that's that physicality cool. right like even though you can't tell it's really him. like his body sometimes has like a certain sway to it or maybe the way he lingers on a word or something like yeah i could tell the voice because you know i i have hair blindness and stuff not that you know hair blindness is going to hurt me here because he looks like a devil and not like you know dr frankenfurter or you know the bellhop from home alone 2 the classic movie that darcy mentioned earlier but just the, the voice is what, what what did it for me i was like oh right that is him and i can sort of see the theatricality of it all even behind that five and a half hours of makeup but for the role of jack the tom cruise role they had considered jim carrey johnny depp and robert downey jr Whoa. Uh, for the part and i was i was talking to uh cara before because over on wistful thinking this month cara and jordan are doing their jim carrey month they're just you know doing talking about a lot of different jim carrey movies cara said that she saw once bitten which mike i know of as the uh the movie that comes on that dvd two-pack with vampire's kiss if you buy mm-hmm. the dvd yeah <laughs> uh, so that you know we both own that movie probably because vampire's kiss for cage club jim carrey was in that and cara was saying that in that movie he's kind of like a taller tom cruise like they still have the same kind of intensity and kind of screen presence and as weird as it sort of sounds now to compare tom cruise to jim carrey she said back in the 80s it sort of seemed that's not a crazy you know difference but can can can, what what do you guys think this movie would be like if jim carrey or johnny depp or robert downey jr were in this like montez if, if we had swapped out tom cruise or darcy if we'd swapped out tom cruise for a different actor, like, does that radically change what you love about this movie, or is he just sort of acting in service of the whole here? I feel like for me, it would change the it would change the whole dynamic of the movie. Really? Because I think yeah. I feel like Tom Cruise, he's not super tall. He's an average height person. He just embodies. I'm this scrappy kid that lives out in the woods. I can't see Jim Carrey doing that. Mm-hmm. I could maybe see Robert Downey Jr. doing that. I don't think I could see Johnny Depp doing that. Although I did love Johnny Depp's earlier work. I don't know. I think it would just, it would change the dynamic. And I think his ability to kind of just be on screen. And when he was on screen, that's what you wanted to pay attention to. I don't know that the others would have that same ability. I'm not going to lie. Like I did picture a 1986 Keanu Reeves in this role, which I think he would, he would have done beautifully, but I don't know, like Tom Cruise, especially this era, he's just, he's got this like 
spark like he can just be on screen and that literally is all you want to see like he had like i believed the magic that he was like sort of presenting to me like oh she shouldn't have touched that unicorn like we're all gonna die now tom cruise told me so i mean you don't know like if it had been like johnny depp or somebody else like would we still have liked it i don't know probably I like that it's Tom Cruise. I wouldn't replace him, even for Keanu. It's interesting. Like, at first I thought maybe you could get away with other actors playing these roles and stuff because, like, so much of the rest of the movie kind of is under makeup, like a lot of the other actors and stuff. Like, that one kid who's playing, like, the main elf, like, that kid's amazing. Like, you know, you see his face and everything the whole movie. But the rest of them, you know, are very much covered. So I was like, well, maybe it wouldn't matter. But, like, actually, no, that's what makes it matter more is that he's like one of the only unmasked characters here that you yeah. see his face mm-hmm. that you could read his emotions and everything and he is super intense there's just a lot of like passion in his character mm-hmm. that comes through and i believe everything you said before like i just believe him for some reason yeah i think that comes through with Cruz, with what Cruz is channeling something about that and about the moment that he as a actor is inhabiting at this time and sort of trying to rely maybe on you know, your trust of him in his previous roles. It's like, trust me, I'm Tom Cruise. Like, I'm going to take you through this movie. We're going to make it together or something. So, yeah, there's something he brings to this, definitely. Because if you look at Keanu's career and you look at 85, 86 when this came out, because this, you know, on IMDb it's listed as 85, but it hit theaters in April 86. Uh, In 86, Keanu was in Youngblood. And also Keanu in 86 did, I guess, his version of this in uh, Montez's favorite movie, Babes in Toyland. Oh, Babes in Toyland. Oh, come on. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I Cincinnati. But can't you just can't you just picture like a River's Edge version of Keanu Reeves? Sure. Mm -hmm. His hair, it would be good. So the the one thing I read was that apparently at this time Tom Cruise hated cutting his hair, so this was his actual natural hair. This was not a wig. This is just what he looked like. This is apparently the longest it ever will be in a movie. But it's just his natural, luscious, flowing locks. Yeah, and it is a ponytail. Yeah. So now, a, a very important question for both of you. We'll start with uh, Darcy. Imagine for a second that Tom Hanks was in the role of Jack. What would this movie be like if Tom Hanks, the other Tom in our Tom Tom Club, what if Tom Hanks were in this leading role? What would this movie be like? <laughs> Or can I, uh, we have a sort of amendment to that too now, right, Joey? Like, or where would he fit in this movie? Right. Yeah. If if you uh, cannot picture this movie with Tom Hanks in the Jack role, uh, which character would he be a a good fit in and how would that movie be different that way? Sorry, that just makes me laugh immediately. I cannot picture him (laughs) in the, the Jack role. I feel like Tom Cruise is like one of the quintessential like heartthrobs. And as much as we all love Tom Hanks, I just feel like he's never really fit into that role. I mean, I feel like it's always comedic. I mean, not always. I mean, there are other things that he's done that aren't comedic, but you say Tom Hanks in this role. And then I immediately just sort of giggle. I feel like he could have been some sort of sidekick or I can't really wrap my mind around having him in this movie. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump Montez here. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in right here quick. I know I, I know exactly where you're going, with Joey. Uh, he'd be the devil. Oh, that's no huh. that's not where I thought you were going at all. I think he'd be the devil. I think I could see him as this sort of manipulative, evil oh. kind of mastermind in a sense that we've seen things from him where he's very calculating, either as Kip in bosom buddies or you know as pardu the holy man in mazes and monsters like he's he's dabbled in fantasy before i'm curious where you think i would go and then what yeah. you would do mike but you know i i agree i don't i don't know that tom hanks would necessarily fit in the lead role here i have a crush on different movie era tom cruise but like this this tom mm-hmm. cruise does not do it for me but mm-hmm. I, I i understand that that's a probably a wildly different interpretation from from what what maybe all three of you think i don't know um mm-hmm. but like i don't i don't necessarily like see him in the lead role like losing sex appeal or whatever or like that that heartthrobbiness and like i don't see that as a reason i just i think there's kind of an innocence to tom cruise in this movie which is the whole point of it that i i feel like through the first five or six things that tom hanks has done between bosom buddies and family ties and mazes and monsters and stuff like as innocent as i as we sort of picture him as like kind of kind and good-hearted i just already kind of don't see him as that like keanu-esque like blank slate you know what i mean mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i don't know 
Mike, what did you yeah. think I was going to do? I, no, I thought you were going to uh, actually uh, have him as Pardue, a holy okay. man, mm-hmm. in this movie. I thought that's where you were going with that, because uh, that, that was uh, that thought crossed my mind more than once. If they just wandered past Pardue's hut one day, maybe this never would have happened. But I'll tell you where I think he'd fit is uh, he'd be Gump, the sort of mm-hmm. the forced child that I was talking about before. You mean like, Forrest Gump? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But he could never play a character it. named Forrest Gump. I don't know, man. I mean, you know what they say about life. It's like a box of unicorn horns. Yeah, he's got to be Gump. I mean, I there's think nothing so. else. He's Gump, and he don't care. There's all sorts of Gump references here. Uh, Montes, what about you? I mean, I, I, not to, to blaspheme uh, your favorite movie of all time, but do you think Tom Hanks could play the lead role or if not, where would he fit in this movie? Um, so I agree with Darcy and Mike. I don't see him as the main role. I think if he had been in the Cruise role, it would be a completely different film. Uh-huh. I think that it would feel more like fake fantasy Dungeons and Dragons type. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. not saying that anybody who's into D and D is there's anything wrong with that, but I just feel like it would completely change the dynamic and it would be more comical. Just because that's when I think about Tom Hanks. In the 80s, that's that's what I think about is, is comedy. I would absolutely put him in the Gump role just because if there's anyone who's going to be kind of funny and dark and sarcastic, it is Gump, and, and that kind of just works. The thing that Mike and I are referencing that I don't know if either of you know about or have seen, but in like 83-ish, I think, like right after Bosom Buddies, uh, Tom Hanks was in a TV movie called Mazes and Monsters, which is sort of capitalizing when like people were afraid that kids were going to go nuts from playing Dungeons and Dragons, like it was leading to like real world violence or something. Based on like sort of loosely, kind of based on this one really sort of tragic story of this college kid who wound up taking his own life. This woman wrote a Jaffe wrote a novel called Mazes and Monsters that was adapted into this movie. I thought it might be kind of like this, but the budget is probably. Uh, 120th of what this is. It's just like this really ugly, muddy, not very fantastical at all. But in that movie, uh, Tom Hanks' character disassociates from reality and believes that he is the character he's playing in Mazes and Monsters. He's Pardue a holy man. He almost tries to take his own life in that movie. It's like this real weird, dark thing that's that I thought was going to be like this and it's nothing like this at all. So he could kind of sort of play that, but it also, you know, I ultimately agree with you, Montez. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see him in this kind of role. But long story short, don't watch that movie, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it sounds interesting. I've never seen it or heard of it. I think if you know about it, it's just that Dungeons and Dragons movie. I think that's like how people sort of know it as that movie. Like it, to, to compare it to a meme, it's like that movie is is you, and this is the guy that she told you not to worry about, right? Like it's <laughs> yes. it's like okay. that's what you think it's it's fine, and then you're like, oh no, it's Tom Cruise in like this like ornate, elaborate, fantastical world. And it's like. This isn't what I was. Oh no, I'm. I have a, a much taller task to uh, to deal with here. I don't. Whew. Okay. Uh, so now another important question. Uh, we'll go to Montez first. Montez, dream come true, dream of a lifetime. You have won a walk-on role into the movie Legend. Where do you put yourself? If you're Stanleying yourself, the Stamio, how do you fit yourself into this world? Where are you? Who are you? What are you doing? Am I a fake? Like, am I a new character, or am I either? Either or anything. Yeah. So that's really tough for me because while I think Princess Lily is a total just dingbat, she makes the wrong decisions at the beginning and she's totally selfish. And then by the end, she's like, oh, shit, I'm a totally bad person. Let me fix all of this and then tries to write everything. I would be that character. But if I'm going to be someone who is also a smart ass and knows how the world works, I would be Una. Now, who is Una? She's the light. Yes. She's the little the little pixie that at the end, you know, I think you mentioned the quote earlier, is, you know, she tries to get Jack to kiss her to get them all out oh, of the, okay, the okay, prison. Oh, okay, okay, Yes, yes, yes. She understands how the world works and that people like to have tricks played on them and kind of cool. she knows how to, to play on people's heartstrings. And, but she also knows sometimes you just have to suck it up and do what you have to at the sacrifice of your own self. The Loki of this world, the trickster god. Yes. Darcy, what about you? If you were sort of stand leaning yourself into this movie, like, uh, you know, cameo, one line, little thing, you know, replacing an existing character, who would you be? What would you be doing? I mean, I like the idea of, like, not being in, like, the torture dungeons at any point. So maybe, like, hanging out with Lily, maybe, like, the best friend that's, like, maybe don't touch the unicorn and just, like... (laughs) 
you know, stays in the like pretty part of the movie for a while, but like could go with Jack and the others if I needed to. Level headed best friend. Cool. Hey Lily, maybe maybe don't do that. Everything about that? <laughs> Mike, what about you? How where are you mm. standing yourself into this movie? I'm gonna walk across the background as a centaur. Just gonna, wow. Just gonna be a centaur, just gonna just kinda gallop in the background and like only in one shot and you're gonna be like, Did I just see that? Mm, was that a unicorn, a person? What was that? In the credits it'll say Centaur played by Mike. Just with your your chiseled abs and your chis your ripped upper body and your exactly. horse bottom. My my bow and my arrow and mm-hmm. my golden locks of hair and everything, the glitter flowing. So much glitter. I'm trying to think where would I put myself? I'm trying to I want to ride a unicorn, but I feel like you're supposed to respect the unicorn more than that. Maybe don't mm-hmm. ride the unicorn. You know, if, yeah. if Darcy was here, be like, don't do that. You yeah. ride the Pegasus. You leave the unicorn alone. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll just be, I'll be a goblin. Why not? I'll just, I'll just be tagging yeah. along with the goblins. Or maybe, here's what I'll do. I'll sort of take a, a cue from Darcy. I'll be like, the goblin's like level-headed. Front. I'm like, maybe don't shoot that dart. Like, do we, <laughs> do we need to listen to darkness? <laughs> And then, you know, I get fired from being a goblin. There kind of is a guy like that, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> like reforms. the... Yeah, that's... He plays... He also plays the snail rider in The NeverEnding Story. Like, hmm, and cool. for some reason, he, like, takes his helmet off and he's like, oh, we're friends, remember? My fr- other friends tried to kill the unicorn. Well, then I'll be that guy. It's always a fun game. <laughs> so Tim Curry, his performance as Darkness was ranked by Entertainment Weekly as the best performance in a bad movie. Oh. So it's kind of a backhanded oh. compliment, but it's also uh, kind of a compliment, I guess, overall. I mean, I anytime know. someone says you did a good job, you're going to take it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just an honor to be nominated, Mike. So here's the three endings for this. The director's cut, which is what... Oh, no, actually, we'll start here. So the American theatrical version, which is what we watched, Jack and Lily assure each other of their love and watch the unicorns reunite and run off into the sunset together, hailed by the forest fairies and the unicorns. Darkness watches them from the void, laughing. The European version, which is five minutes longer, ends with the same them running off into the sunset, but darkness is not, not there, so it's even more of a, a pure happy ending. But then in the director's cut, Lily wakes with Jack trying to convince her that she was merely dreaming, but she's ultimately unconvinced. They confess their love for one another, but realize they live in two different lifestyles, which causes Lily to request continuing a merely platonic relationship. Jack, happy with this request, accepts. Lily returns to her home to assume her responsibilities, promising to visit him again. Jack happily runs off into the sunset, hailed by the forest fairies and revived unicorns. That, uh, you know, he gets uh, he gets cock-blocked there, I guess, but he's just, he's cool <laughs> with it. Friend zone. Um, that's a wildly different ending, because apparently the one, the, the big difference that I was reading about his character, because as it pertains to this podcast, is that in this version, he's just pure of heart, but in that one, he's sort of just kind of distracted by love, in a way, hmm. that he's like a more, maybe more complex character complicated character i definitely thought they were in love like i you know i mean it was a simple telling and things but like no i got i if this movie ended and she's like you know what i'm done i'm gonna you know i'm good like i'm gonna go home like you be cool in the forest like maybe i'll call you sometime i'd be like what the hell like, well i think yeah. i think that's where the extra 30 minutes comes into play like there's there's more dynamic there like i think the hmm. the, the, the the arc the relationship that this version tells if she did turn him away at the end, be like, I don't uh, I thought you were clicking, but I don't know. Because I think that is sort of also what Montez loves and what Tom Cruise is rebelling against. But like, that is kind of the the classic fairy tale style, right? Where like the guy rescues the girl. He rescues the prince. Like Mario, Mario rescues the princess. And then, you know, he gets the princess, right? So it is kind of interesting, though, like even when I mean, it's not so much it sounds like a rejection, but like, we don't I haven't seen the version. But even when she's like, I'm going to go back home, let's be friends that he's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, that sounds about right. Like, I'm good with that. I'm going to go into the forest and like, I'll find something to do. Montez or Darcy, any other thoughts about uh, legend that we want to talk about? I know I'm sure that both of you could talk about this forever because you both see this movie more than I ever will. Uh, but anything else you want to make sure that you talk about, about especially, specifically about Tom Cruise, but you know about anything about this movie, things that you love, things that you like, things that you just want to want to get off your chest? I feel like people should watch this movie and make their own opinions on whether or not they like it. I think that's a testament to this movie is, you know, when it came out, it didn't do very well. Now it's it's become this big cult classic. People should just go watch it. I don't care if you like fantasy or not. And then come email me and tell me that you loved it. And <laughs> Lie to me. Montez <laughs> at cageclub.me. Feed my own fantasy that this is the best movie of all time. I was actually kind of like, y'all were saying that, like, you hear that people say that this is such a bad movie. Like, people around me, like, haven't even seen it. 
So it was like, I had all these fresh eyes and I'm just like, what do you mean you haven't seen Legend? So yeah, everyone should literally watch this movie. It's one of my favorites. I love everything about it. I'm watching it again on mute as we've been recording and I, I like watching it. I just... Well, that's kind of what I was saying yeah. earlier. Like you can do it more as like a silent film if that's if you want to. Because there's not that much dialogue really, right? Like it's a lot of mm-hmm. who, who can say, really who can say. Uh, so, okay. So here's, here's an important question. I, I think the answer is no. But maybe I'm forgetting something. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Oh my god, he runs. He does run. When? Yes. I don't know, but I just remember blurting out loud, like, oh my god, this is the beginning of his running career. And then someone else I was watching it was with was like, he runs? And I'm like, yes. So his Twitter bio, for people listening who might not know, his Twitter bio is running in movies since 1981, where his first movie, Endless Love, he literally runs on screen as Billy the Arsonist, a soccer player, uh, falls down on the ground, talks about how he loves setting houses on fire. 47 seconds of pure bliss. So he's literally been running since the beginning. But Montez, where, where does he run in the scene? Because he is con- or in this movie, because he's constantly on the move in this movie. But wh- when and where does he run? So he's running through the swamp. Okay. It's, like He's kind of like run hopping through the swamp. He's running in the castle when they're in the castle trying to uh, thwart darkness with the little, like, mirror things. The plates, yeah. Yeah. And then when he runs off the cliff to, like, get the ring. So it's not, like, sprint running, long distance or whatever, but there's definitely a lot of running. A lot of crouching. But he's hustling his little butt around, all right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yep. An important uh, second question, this this comes from, he has no idea we would do this, but there's there's somebody on Twitter named at Harperfect or Harperfect or something, and this is still one of my favorite cheats of all time, you could replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen and nothing would change. Do you think Jack in this movie could be named Lightning McQueen? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I think so. I mean, honestly, Lightning sounds pretty cool for yeah. like a fantasy thing. Mm-hmm. I, w- I don't know about the McQueen, but I think that could work. Montez? I'm going to go full nerd here. I think given the fact that Jack is named for... A folklore character. I think it's Jack of the Green. It, it can't work because Jack embodies Lightning McQueen. To me, is like the little animated car. Well, yeah. I can't. See, I can't see this little animated car trying to save a bunch of. What if? It, what if we replaced <laughs> Tom Cruise in this movie with uh, Lightning McQueen the car? He's just beep beeping around the forest. I, I can't. I can't do it. What if Owen Wilson played this <laughs> role? Wow. Oh my God. Wow. That's so weird, man. Uh, so I'm going to say maybe. I'm going to give it a firm maybe because I'm not going to say no because uh, I still think that that, that thesis I, statement is pretty yeah. true. But I think I like the lightning part, but maybe not the McQueen part. If he was yeah. lightning Jack, yeah, yeah, maybe. or lightning. I mean, he's tra- he's trying to save a princess. He's trying to save the queen. Basically, you know what I mean? Like it's um, it's not that far yeah, off. Queen, hmm. the light queen. So we got one more thing to do on the show. We have to nominate this movie for awards. I'm going to preemptively right now just say not best or worst movie. Like, I, I know that that's going to ruffle some feathers maybe, but this, I, I cannot in good faith nominate this for best film, but I will not put it up for worst film. So we're going to skip those. Mike, best role, worst role? I mean, for for Cruise? No. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I went on that tear earlier about how, like, no one else can play this role. Yeah, it's not one that I know him for, right? Like, that's the other thing. It's like, I think of Ethan Hunt. You know, when we get there and stuff, and like, you know, next week with Top Gun and Maverick, like that is where it's like, oh shit, like Tom Cruise, wow, like Capital yep. T, which I cannot wait. Two weeks. Whew. Best fight? Is there a fight in this movie? Oh, that sword fight's pretty awesome. Sword fight against know. darkness. Yeah. Have we ever watched like a movie for a podcast where someone has had a sword fight with a demon? Like maybe, maybe. Maybe Cage. Well, uh, but that's about it. Maybe in 47 Ronin, does, does Keanu sword fight anybody oh, yeah, in that? Maybe Keanu. Uh, probably, yeah. Or at least like a mutant something monster. Cage and Outcast, right? Like Cage sword fights in that. I don't know if he fights a demon. Well, I, was thinking, or... I was thinking like Drive Angry where he fights demons and stuff. I mean, like yeah. He's... He's on Wait, what was the what was the other movie? Ghost Rider. <laughs> no, there was Outcast, but what was the other movie where Cage is with demons? Does he have a sword fight? What am I trying to think of? He's not in Sorcerer's Apprentice, is he? Yes, he, he is. is. That's close. He is the sorcerer. Hang on. What am I? What movie am I trying to think the of? The Prime Three Meridian. Merlinian. Merlinian. I said the, it right. <laughs> with Jay Baruchel. 
And it's his birthday for no reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, Season of the Witch. Oh, where he plays Benin. There's a witch. There's actual mm-hmm. evil in that movie. He does sword That's fight. That's Claire you know. Foy as the witch, yeah. And it is Claire Foy as the witch. And he and, what's his name? Ron Perlman, you Ron know, Perlman sh- swashbuckle hey. through the Middle Ages. So Talking about big red dudes with horns. There's another one. Mm-hmm. Wait, who plays? Oh, it's David Tennant? Is David Tennant new Hellboy? No, it's uh, Sheriff from Stranger Things, right? Is oh, wait, what's his name? Uh, Sheriff from Stranger Things. <laughs> David Harbour. All I know is that scary. American Honey, Sasha Lane is in it. So that's all. That's why I'm going to see that movie. And Mila Jovovich is in it. So that's why I'm going to go. So now I, I know that Montez would probably say yes, but Mike, I'm, I'm going to leave this up to you. Best soundtrack or score? No, mm, just yeah, because it, it didn't work for you. Saying, yeah, like not that I'm sure on its own, like I've listened to plenty of Tangerine Dream and it's fine. I don't know if it fit so well. Like it didn't exactly do what like, um, you know, when you watch like um, Marie Antoinette, you know, and like that's got like a modern soundtrack, like that really works for some reason. Like the, yep. that, that works. But like here, I really wished it was more of like a, uh, orchestra another category in the awards that we have is best dance scene and i would love to open it up kind of to everything i, I want it to be a tom cruise dancing but you know that just want to once again shout out the the dress dancing in this because that was pretty cool probably yes to this best outfit wardrobe for tom cruise yes yep what do we not what do we call it the wood boy uniform he's got like a chainmail dress and no pants yeah we're gonna he's almost wearing yeah the aquaman shirt the scales like the golden mm-hmm. scales um so i'll just call it uh fantasy attire <laughs> uh no sunglasses in this unfortunately does not die is there a line or a freak out again i don't think there's a ton of dialogue that he has i do love that you know whatever i said before what was my line before fairy glamour uh, this is, yeah uh, is there a liner a liner freak out in this movie that we want to nominate for tom cruise the you know one of his all-time great lines, or is is the is what we love about him in this movie, not necessarily his his lines. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I don't think he has a lot of great lines. Yeah, I think I think it's just him in general in this movie. Is there a particular athletic feat that he does? I mean, he he dives hmm. off to get that ring. He eventually gets the ring later. But is there anything he does in this movie that we we want to nominate to compete with? Back doing a backflip off a car, uh, catching an egg at the end of Risky Business. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> or the interception return for touchdown and all the right moves. Is there anything specific, like any one move or gesture or something that he does in this movie that we want to call special attention to? His dramatic break through the ice. Okay. Yeah, because he, I mean, <laughs> uh, he was leaping all over this set. Like it must have. Yeah. Like, it just looked like he had was having a lot of fun <laughs> like, being in this movie, and uh, just again the idea that all this was in a studio, like indoors, and that you know controlled like that is incredible. So maybe they had like it set up almost like a jungle gym for him, where it's like swing here and, you know, here's going to be sort of like a springboard there and it's all hidden. A little bit of a flying, a.k.a. dream to believe, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. I dream of flying. Best love story, worst love story, or sort of neutral? We don't have anything for either of those right now. I would nominate it for that. For best love story? Yeah. I think that fits, especially thinking of the rest of his like filmography, like I feel like this is pretty... Love pretty, story pretty heavy. romantic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Best or worst non-Cruise actor, T- Tim Curry as Darkness? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So we have five nominees for this movie. Best fight, best wardrobe, most athletic feat, best love story, and best non-Cruise actor male, Tim Curry as Darkness. Anything else about this movie that we want to nominate, good or bad, uh, for the Tom Cruise Awards? Maybe the Golden Oak Leaves. Maybe the Golden Ray-Bans? There's got to, maybe Golden Sunglasses. Maybe that's what's, that's, that, might be, that might be what has to be, Mike. Hmm, that could be good. We'll find out, but anything else, good or bad, about this movie that you want to uh, call particular attention to, anybody? As I sit here in my unicorn slippers, <laughs> I just want everyone to know that unicorns are the best, yeah. and you should watch this movie and then believe in them. Cool. And then, you know, lie to me about it. Very, very fair. Darcy, any last thoughts Any uh, other than just unicorns are cool? No, that's probably that's probably how it should, should end, because unicorns are cool. Well, that's very, very cool of you. The last thing on the show is we're going to sort of highlight or feature another show on the network. You know, we have 25 different podcasts here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. I'm going to call particular attention to Keanu Club because Darcy has her own Keanu Club, which we found her through because she was hashtagging Keanu Club just like us. If you like the sound of uh, Montez's voice, you can go back and listen to her on Babes in Toyland or The Last Time I Committed Suicide 
or Henry's crime, or anyone can quantum, that whole special episode. And then Darcy was on our To the Bone episode, and then our Golden Hot Dogs. Both of our fine, fine guests were on the Keanu Club podcast, if you want to go back and check those out. I would not recommend watching the last time I committed suicide, but I remember <laughs> having a fun time, yeah, don't. you know, picking that movie apart a little bit with, with Mike and Montez, but... Maybe watch Henry's Crime. Henry's Crime was fine with Vera Farmiga, right? And, mm-hmm. uh... Some dude. Uh, James Kahn, mm-hmm. right? James Kahn, yeah. yeah. Darcy, why don't you, uh, if you want to let people know about anything, if, if you want to let people know about your Keanu Club or whatever else, any, any of our listeners that you want to fill in the uh, who you are and what you do on the internet. Um, yeah, so my Keanu Club just essentially encompasses things that I make that have Keanu references to them. So I have an Etsy st- store online that's just my name, Darcy Dubose, and it's you can even just... Search Keanu Reeves on Etsy, and I will probably have, like, the first, like, 200 listings, so. Yes, your Keanu Club is much more popular than our Keanu Club. <laughs> it's just, it's cuter, I think, is what it is. <laughs> it's it's definitely cuter on Etsy, and then on Instagram, you definitely accentuate his, for lack of a better word, sensuality in ways that we do not. <laughs> yeah, I have a Keanu Club, like, actual Instagram account that just cracked 10,000 so that's pretty fun it just lets me roam through Keanu pictures every day and have a reason to put them on the internet you're doing the lord's work <laughs> and so Montez what about you anything that you want to share with our listeners anything that you want to find uh you know unicorn unicorn musings that's a thing yeah that's a thing I I write a blog that I'm pretty sure only my husband reads so thank you to my husband for supporting my silly endeavor i read them every once in a while yeah so i review movies that i watch i review all i only review some of the movies that i watch i review all of the books that i read and sometimes when i'm not lazy i put up information about where i've traveled and and cool things to go see and that's about it cool well thank you both for uh joining us here darcy you will be back for interview with a vampire in a couple yes. months oh, right here nice. and then montez you'll be back uh next year for a bunch of different movies but you're not going to be back for a little bit of a while so thank you both for joining us mike next next episode top gun already episode eight top gun got the need we're here the need to podcast before then though we've got bachelor party over on hangs for the memory so oh yeah i have not seen that movie couple good movies coming up I mean, you know, they're mostly good by this point, but exciting times to be part of the Tom Tom Club. So I'm, I hope you're enjoying, you know, this episode. This show comes out every other Friday, uh, Cruise Club every other Friday, alternating with Hanks for the Memory. So whether you like Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, uh, go check those out. Subscribe to both feeds. Email us, run at cageclub.me. We've also got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub. If you want to control what Mike and I watch or kick us a couple bucks. Uh, Just go do that over there. But Cruise Club every other Friday, Top Gun coming up next. But for all things Cruise Club and Hanks with Memories and Keanu Club and all 25 of our shows, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, as I just said, run at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of Legend or the show or Top Gun or whatever. We will read your emails on air. Go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub and just, you know, say hi and... Let us know that you're listening. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. And that was Darcy DuBose and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. And we'll see you in two weeks for Top Gun right here on Cruise Club. I have seen the mystics play there Once or twice Well, I knew they had a reason Enchantment plays its cards all right Hand in hand with the workings of the seasons Legends can be now and forever Teaching us to love for goodness sake Legends can